everyone. Hello. And welcome to another bonus podcast episode of uh, Callum and David's Any Requests. Yes, this is our Patreon challenge that we've set ourselves for the period of isolation. Yeah. Um, yeah, so just a reminder that we are uh, have a Patreon going on where you can donate £5 a month and you can request uh, one podcast for every month you pay. Um, you certainly can. So, uh, yeah, we, we've got a few in, which is fab, and we're going to be trying to get through them as much as we can, um, probably releasing sort of a couple a week, hopefully. Um, and uh, the next one we had in was uh, from my brother-in-law, Steve. Yeah. Now, what I thought was quite interesting was that like, our last challenge, Tales of the Unexpected, it was kind of in keeping with the, the uh, Jonathan Creek-esque. It was kind of like an offshoot from that into something else. It was quite yeah. cultish. Um, and I thought, oh, but it was nice. It was a nice idea. Yeah. I'm grateful to, you know, be taken up on our Patreon. This time, I feel <laughs> like your brother-in-law, Steve, has done it as a weird practical joke. Yeah, so I'll tell you exactly why he's done it. He's done it because uh, this film is is uh, a sort of in-joke uh, within our family because Steve showed me this film uh, when I must have been maybe about 11, right. and uh, it's an 18-rated film. Um, as, as you said earlier on before we started recording, that um, that you can't quite believe how wrong it is on every I mean, level. So it's, it's no, so wonder it's, uh, no wonder it's rated 18, because I think they just wanted the least amount of people to see it as possible, really, <laughs> yeah, yeah. more than the actual content of it. It's, trying it doesn't to... seem really it's to do with the fact that it's adult content. No. It's, it's just that it... It shouldn't really be because everyone yeah. see the light of day. <laughs> yeah. So um. So yeah. So there's there's about a twenty year age gap between uh me and my brother in law, but eighteen year age gap between me and my sister. So they were obviously um in their uh well sort of uh, late twenties, early thirties yeah. when they would have shown me this. Um, and being the little snitch that I was, I went home and told my parents. Oh like, no! Lauren oh, Steve showed me an eighteen rated film. Why did you do that? <laughs> I don't know. I don't. I don't think I did it that way. I think I just kind of brought it up a conversation without thinking um, right. about it. And obviously, they found out that it was uh, eighteen rated, and then uh, I think Lauren and Steve got into a bit of trouble for that. So, um, well, I'm not surprised. <laughs> yeah, over twenty years later, uh, I'd like to formally apologise uh, <laughs> <laughs> through the medium of this podcast. Uh, yeah, for being a little grass. Um, but I, I. Bits flooded back, even though, um, as I say, over two decades ago, that I would have last seen it as we were watching, um, and it, it's it's a ridiculous film. So the film is called The Big Hit. Uh, it was released in 1998, starring Mark Wahlberg, Lou Diamond Phillips, uh, Avery Brooks, Christina Applegate, Elliot Gould. Uh, weird cast, um, and uh, it was directed uh, by a guy called Kirk Wong. Uh, I believe, uh, who um, was uh, a sort of Hong Kong action movie director, very much a kind of protege of one of the executive producers of this film, John Woo. Right, um, okay. John Woo, of course, basically the godfather of the 90s action film. Yeah. Face Off, Broken Arrow. Um, go and back and watch his uh, early Hong Kong stuff, Hard Boiled. Hard Boiled's an incredible film um, mm. with Chow Yun Fat. There's uh, one of my favourite... Um, Steadicam tracking shot 
sequences and action sequences. John is a really good director. He knows yeah. how to make films. Yeah. I would suggest that this gentleman... <laughs> He's... Uh, I, went, I went on Kirk Wong's Wikipedia and it says... Best known for the big hit. So right. that's yeah. not great, is it? It's not it's great. Not, he didn't have a glittering career after this. Another interesting name on the executive producers is Wesley Snipes. Really? Yep, yeah, apparently produced this film. Oh my goodness. So there you go. A relatively low budget of $13 million. Um, and I think it made about $27 million. In the box office. So that's, that's a, a pretty profit. good success in those. Yeah, uh, I mean, considering the film, it's, uh, yeah, not bad. So I just wanted, before we dive into our own uh, critique of the movie, uh, to kick off, just to give you guys a taste of what you might get from us by uh, reading you a quote from um, probably the world's most famous theatre um, film critic ever, uh, that's Roger Ebert. Of course, uh, uh, yes. Siskel and Ebert, very famous film reviewing during America. Um, and he said when the film came out, I guess you could laugh at this. You'd have to be seriously alienated from normal human values and be nursing a deep-seated anger against movies that make you think even a little, but you could laugh. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I guess we should really uh, just kind of go through it and yeah. talk about our notes. I don't know if we... <sighs> Want to do it a bit more freeform than with the normal Jonathan Creek episodes? I don't know how exciting it is for people if we just took you through the plot. Yeah, um, I, I started <laughs> making plot notes, and then I'm, I realised about five minutes in that there wasn't really one. Um, <laughs> it's not. I mean, there is there, it, there is plot, but it's not really about that, is it? No, it's no. it's about all the other bells and whistles. So maybe maybe let's um, let everyone uh, listening know very briefly. I'll run through the kind of basically what happens, and then we can go back and kind of. Mm-hmm. Pick out our favourite moments from the film. It's basically a bunch of hitmen. Mark Wahlberg is like the put upon one, mm-hmm. um, and, and the best one, and the best one. But he's very non-confrontational for a hitman, so or lets other people take the credit for his work, things like that. Um, it opens with this big ridiculous heist scene, and there's explosions. Uh, and um, they go back to their boss and they think they're not getting paid enough by their crime boss. So they take this other job on the side, which is kidnapping the daughter of uh, a Japanese movie mogul that's just lost all his money on this film. Um, then they, uh, unbeknownst to them, though, this daughter of this Japanese mogul is the goddaughter of their crime boss. So they've double-crossed their own their own boss uh, without yeah. knowing so one of them played by Lou Diamond Phillips uh, Cisco is the name of the character um, which confused me for reasons I'll come to later on um, uh, he basically double crosses all of them and throw, throws them all under the bus Yeah. Uh, and yeah obviously that ensues in a big action scene at the end uh, subplot of that is uh, Mark Wahlberg also has a girlfriend and a fiance and then also falls in love with the Japanese girl that he's kidnapped. Yeah. Um, that's basically the film. Yeah, I mean, I, I think if you were to sum it up from, from kind of like... It, it, it's framed that Mark Wahlberg is a hitman who has a problem with people not liking him. And as a result, he yeah. gets himself into a bit of hot water because he d- isn't honest with himself. Yeah. That's how it's framed, right? Yeah. That's what it's meant to be. And he learns over the course of the film that you can't please anyone, you've got to be true to yourself. Yeah. 
Um, which sounds beautiful and moving, but it's not. Because <laughs> no, it isn't that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but that was yeah, a really nice summary. Um, yeah, and to give you an idea of the tone, like we open with Mark Wahlberg, you know, it looks like he's kind of doing some kind of chores, taking yeah. the bins out. Uh, and then inside the bin bags are body parts. Body parts, yeah. yeah. And everyone's fine with this. Yeah, yeah. He's not his, bothered. Yeah, his girlfriend that he's having this affair with comes in and gives him a kiss and accidentally steps in the body, in the bag of body parts mm. and is like, uh, and then looks around and goes, oh, he seems like a cute guy. I was like, right, so we're all just fine with body parts. Fine with death uh, um, and body parts, yeah. yeah. Um, um, we, we, we then meet kind of properly the four, five gang m- members or hitmen team yeah. uh, of, of the big boss. Um, one of which it's revealed, uh, has become addicted to masturbation. Yeah. Because he's never done it before never in his late 20s. And and they said they were surprised by that as yeah. contemporaries uh, after showering off from their killing spree. Yeah. Um, he said, oh, well, I never had to before because I've been having sex since I was 10. Yeah. He didn't phrase it like that, actually. It was a yeah. bit more effing and jeffing, no, you might say. Um, it was quite a lot of that in this film. Yeah, yeah. Loads of needless swearing. Yeah, I mean, it... There was this whole spate of films. There's a film that it reminds me of a lot called Thursday um, with Thomas J and Aaron Eckhart, um, which I think is slightly better. But there was a whole spate of films in the mid to late 90s that were just trying to ape Tarantino. Right, yeah. Um, in terms of kind of the, the way it's edited and cut and the very coarse language, the ultraviolence. All these films try to do that. Um and, and also, action-wise, obviously very much influenced or trying to be like a John Woo film. And I think that's why, obviously, this guy got the gig directing it, is because it's that thing of movie producers going, we need to find the next one of that person because that person's popular now. Yeah. So I think they were looking at, all oh, Hong Kong action movie directors like John Woo, we need a new batch of them. So maybe testing this guy out, Seeing what he came up with and went, that was a bad idea. Let's <laughs> yeah, never yeah, do that again. Quid later. Yeah. But then he turned a profit. Um, right. And you can kind of see why, because it does encapsulate this mother effing, you know, yeah. kind of ultra sweary, silly, slight sense of humour. I can imagine, like, being amongst my friends at the age of 12, 13, yeah. thinking that it was cool to. Like just swear needlessly or be really callous and insensitive. Yeah, I think that was a spate of coolness in the nineties that definitely Brits tried to kind of uh, mimic that American. Yeah. I don't care, like bod parts or sex. Like I'm not even bothered by sex. Like I'm so straight, I don't even get turned on by naked breasts. That kind of attitude. Yeah, like, right. Well, I don't. I don't know what any of this means. Yeah. Um. So yeah. So all throughout the film, this character who's called Crunch, I believe. Yeah is the character's name, um, is, um, got one of those, like, hand, um, muscle stretches, yeah, muscle tendons, yeah, yeah. so it's all just, all visual sight gags about masturbation and him, because probably that's a funny, he's really particular about his lubricant, it's got to have lanolin in it, rather than just aloe vera, it's really weirdly detailed subplot, um, it was about this point where I I, I realised that Mark Wahlberg's got dyed red hair. Yeah, that's a choice. dyed ginger. That's an odd choice. And I'd like to bring up now at this point that he made this film a year after Boogie Nights. What is he doing? So this, this is what he made after being nominated for an Academy Award. <laughs> thought, oh, brilliant. Uh, 
I, you know, worked my ass off for nearly a decade trying to be taken seriously after Marky Mark and the Funky Bunch yeah. and actually going out and trying to make work and be taken seriously as an actor. I did it. I got Oscar nominated. Now I'm going to make this. Yeah, but it's worse than... The, Marky Mark and the Funky Bunch is far superior as uh, in terms of what it contributed to the Western art scene <laughs> than this. This is far, far worse. Yeah. Um, there's lots of idiot bits. Like when, just to give you an idea of these characters, they're meant to be like super good hitmen and, and Mark Wahlberg's superhuman in his martial arts yeah. and, and his um, like shooting skills and does everything single-handedly. But they like they synchronise their watches and they're all analogue watches and they're not synchronised <laughs> and, and it's obviously not like addressed and the it's yeah. full the, the film is full of these continuity errors. There's a bit of the editing that I just want to touch upon in this opening epic fight scene. Yeah. Because it's not just ridiculous but well shot. It's it's quite badly shot. Yeah. But bits of it are okay, but the editing's really out of sequence. Like, yeah. Th- there were moments where characters were, the bullets were going into the chest before the gun had been fired. Yeah. And you knew those were the only two people fighting each other. Like, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. clearly a very stoned, like, paid by the hour editor in some Hollywood garage. He's yeah. going, yeah, man, I'll do it for you. And he's just bashed, bashed the space bar a few times. Yeah. Um, and it, it's like the, 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 I know you wouldn't call it CGI. The special effects, yeah. I guess, are, are really bad. Like, the explosions are so, like, you can see it's on, like, a different bit of film that's been, like, traced yeah. on top of the of that bit of film they're using. It's just, like, really, really bad. But there's a bit in this action movie opening sequence uh, where Mark Wahlberg bungee jumps out of a skyscraper... And you you see it from the bottom up, and it's mm. like hundreds of feet up, and the bungee cord like obviously goes down, and it brings him back up. As it goes back up, the top of the level that he's going back up to explodes, which is because he's because explodes. he's set the bomb off. He set really the bomb off. He's obviously timed it badly. Yeah, um, and so obviously because that explodes, that as you would imagine, cuts the bungee cord. Yeah. And he's falling, but it's okay because now suddenly there's a swimming pool oh, yeah. about six floors down. Yeah. But you showed us the whole building from the floor up yeah. and that didn't exist. So where's that giant swimming pool? That's yeah. also, why is that like a level of a next door skyscraper? Yeah, like it's very up. sense. There's a Unless swimming pool the there. shot of him on the bungee cord was taken from underneath the glass bottom swimming pool <laughs> and somehow we didn't notice that it was through water. Yeah, it is shocking. I remember watching a documentary on um, the making of The World Is Not Enough. Oh, yeah. Um, What year was that? Um, Like, 1990? No, yeah, maybe 2003. 2003, but it was early enough for CGI not to be what it is today, is my point. Yeah. And they were talking about where the most of the money goes, and they were like, it's on the explosives. They're like, why? It's like, because this is all real petrol. Like, we're really blowing yeah. stuff <laughs> right, up. Yeah, yeah. So you can see, and they were like, there was a lot of tension over like one shot, because if yeah. it wasn't right, they couldn't redo it. Like, it was yeah, every explosion in James Bond at that time was, was huge and really costly. And you can see that this is a much lower budget film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because they just haven't had the time or the space or the money to do that. Yeah. But what they have done is just hired some like bad manga artists to kind of draw <laughs> over maybe some coloured, like, <laughs> Perspect paper. Like, you know that um, acetate you used to get on OHPs in primary school? Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. coloured acetate yeah. that they've drawn over the film. That's yeah. what it is. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's what it looks like. Um, uh, so, yeah, and um, so the guy playing their boss, uh, Paris, um, also 
refers to his crime syndicate as the House, house of, of Paris. Paris. And every time that just makes me think of, like, a fashion house in the, <laughs> like, drag ballroom scene in yeah. New York. Um, Paris is burning. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> absolutely not the feel he's going for. But that's played by Avery Brooks, who is... A good a, actor. Like... Like, most people remember him from Star Trek Deep Space Nine. He was, yeah, amazing. That's that's where I'm confused about the fact that Lou Diamond Phillips' character is called Cisco because Avery Brooks' character was Commander Cisco. Oh, my goodness, yeah. like, I'm confused that there's an actor that played another character called Cisco in something else that's in this. So, I'm not a Trekkie, but I, I remember that. Yeah, um, yeah. I, 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 I'm not, but I, I actually think Deep, Deep Space Nine was always my favourite because it always felt a little bit darker. It always... Yeah. Um, felt a bit more adult and a bit cooler than any of the other Star Trek mm, series. Yeah. Um, and but, but also, he's like known as like being. I read a, what, a few years back, like apparently his Othello is like cited as being one of the best ever wow, um, yeah. on Broadway. Uh, well, so he, like he does a weird stage. thing with the speech when he's talking about the House of Paris and he says the House of Paris about twenty times. Yeah, and yeah. He's pissing us yeah. out. <laughs> <laughs> thinking about drag culture. Yeah, it's um, Billy Porter saying it as yeah. a whole different. Level. I mean, probably an equally uh, brilliant Othello. Oh, absolutely, um, yeah. and probably an address, which is always very interesting. Yeah. But there's this bit where he does get quite almost Shakespearean. Mm. You can see there's a bit of good acting trying to come out, but the writing keeps interrupting it. Yeah. With Damien Phillips interjecting with comedy. And you're like, no, yeah. But this is the bit where the stakes have to be high. This is a bit in a silly action film where you go, oh no, hang on a minute. We do carry these characters. Yeah. Yeah, we're going to commit now. And then that will mean with this small investment, we will let the ridiculous action happen. But they just don't. They just deliberately undermine it all the time. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a great point because what you have in this film is you have two um, sort of older, celebrated character actors. One of them, Avery Brooks, as you rightly say, is trying his best to get good acting through a bad script. Elliot Gould, on the other hand, oh, has taken the decision my... to just take the piss. God, like he, he is, he's gone. Okay, if you're going to give me this script, I'm going to make it sound as bad as it can possibly be. Yeah. Like this, this is an actor we know is a phenomenal actor, and he I mean, is a absolutely phenomenal actor. Absolutely doing his best to be terrible. He's the worst thing in the film, except for <laughs> one other actor who I'm going to mention later on, who steals it for me. But he is, he is like absolutely got the rotten tomato. Uh, what's it? The golden raspberry. Yeah. Um, for for the worst performance I've ever seen. And you're right, I think he really is taking the piss. But but I mean, it's the it's, but, it's the minute the minute he walks in, the first time he comes in, and I just immediately went, you don't care. You absolutely don't care about this. I could tell from his face yeah. when he walked in. I'm pretty sure the character he's playing is how he felt actually yeah. as the actor. I I maybe 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 that was yeah, just no acting required. But he's playing opposite um is it Leanne Kazan? Yes. Who is, again, another massively celebrated yeah. um, actor. Yeah. And, and they, they play the parents of Christina Applegate, who yeah. is the fiancé of Mark Wahlberg. And they're, I mean, they're both Jewish actors, yeah. and they're both playing Jewish parents. But the stereotypes in that script about, the, like, that those actors have to say about themselves and other Jewish people in general is really a bit unsettling. Yeah. Having said that, Compared to the rest of the racism, sexism, paedophilia, and rape culture that is rampant throughout the rest yeah. of the movie, it actually pales in comparison. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, and we'll, there'll be plenty of that coming up, unfortunately. Um, 
Uh, another question I've got here on my notes that I wanted to pose to you, Callum. Yeah. Why? <laughs> why does a why does a criminal gang? Yeah. Have a locker room. <laughs> because they they do their killings, they go to the gym. So is it? Uh, yeah. I was confused by this. Is it a separate <laughs> gym that they just don't feel the need to show us? them travelling to because they only ever show them in that locker room when they've been to see the crime boss so in my head I've assumed that it's a it's it's a, a locker room the crime within, the his, within the House of Paris the House of Paris gym when you become a member of the House of Paris <laughs> you're not only a contract killer but you also get free gym membership <laughs> I feel like it's just the writer um Ramp someone Ramsey, I've, uh, I've forgotten his name. Not of the world after this film. Ben Ramsey, something like that. Um, who, yeah, again has worked very little since then. <laughs> I think the only other proper film he's made is a film starring Treach from the rap group Naughty by Nature. Okay. Um, called like Bullet and a Half or something. Anyway, it's um, the type of film you could could only get people to put money into if you were also offering them a crack rock at the same yeah, time. Like, yeah, yeah. So. Um, it's basically, uh, I think it's him being like, I can't think of any other environment where um, for kind of ultra Bush, hetero, hetero guys, guys yeah. would have a conversation. Yeah. Not thinking about the logic of why they'd be in one. He's just yeah. envisioned. It's because it's locker room talk, isn't it? Yeah, That's why. He's exactly. thought of the phrase locker room talk and gone, oh, I'll put it in a literal locker room, not explaining why they're in a locker room at all. Yeah, absolutely. Um, locker room talk, obviously, meaning a whole different thing now in a post-Trump presidential yeah. world. Um, yeah, and, and, and I think that kind of toxic... Actually, that's kind of an interesting link into what we start to discover. And it's really unsettling watching Christina Applegate um, who then is, you know, still quite famous at that oh, point, yeah. you know, um, playing Mark uh, Wahlberg's fiance, And she's like, hey, Mark, do you think my ass is still pert? Do you think it's still pert? I'm really yeah. worried about it. And I'm like, oh, I think she's joking and this is a bit of a come on. And then you find out that it's not that's really her character. And you go, oh, okay, right, yeah. we're, we're this level now. Yeah. And he says, yeah, baby, of course it's still pert. Like a teenager. I'm like, right. Yeah, that, that, yeah. Okay. <laughs> That was uh, a really unsettling line. Um, really there's this unsettling. kind of real thing about... And that's the first time it's mentioned. And, and, it, makes go and it, do... it makes it worse because the, the overarching love story of this film, and spoiler who he actually ends up with, is an actual teenager. Yes! Yes! <laughs> so it's that, oh, it's not even just like a like an unfunny, like, offensive line. It's actually what, what genuinely Happens. what he thinks because he ends up with someone that's definitely still at high school, so, and which apparently is okay and not referenced at all. Also, did you notice the guy that they, they, they're meant to kill in the first big hit sequence? Yes. Yeah. He's a, another rival crime boss, presumably not a very nice guy either. Um, and while they're kind of creeping up on him, he's in the middle of doing a deal where he's buying three women, yeah. buying yeah. three women for $50,000 each. And they all had to be blonde, and they all had to be under the age of 20. Yeah. So you've gone from saying, oh, well, this guy's obviously a baddie, and he's trafficking young women, and that's awful, to actually know that is he's trafficking them because that's the ideal of beauty, right? And, and asking the audience to buy into that the ideal of beauty is not only blonde, yeah. uh, uh, and, uh, but, but also... And, and like skinny and per- bum and perfect boobs, but also but also a child like under the age of twenty, uh, a 
a teenager. This this film made me feel like really bad for what a hard time we've given David Rennick and Jonathan Creek, oh, which yeah. around the same time as this. Yeah. Because all of the worst stuff that we kind of go, uh, oh, we'll apologise for that because it was the 90s, different yeah. time, is like so nowhere near the depths. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Some of the stuff in this film yeah. is just so distasteful. And at least at least Dave, David Rennick might be three teenager or teenager boys... But at least they're night. They, they're boys that meet in the library at lunchtime. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. These guys. Yeah, oh yeah, these are the jocks. Uh, yeah, and yeah, jocks yeah. or like coke dealers. That's what I was. I was like, this this film is like a roided up meathead, <laughs> like Jim Hound yeah. as a film. Yeah. Like, it just <laughs> the worst era. The worst parts of. The Attitude Era of WWE Wrestling. Yes. It's that. Like, all the bad bits from that. Vince McMahon would love this film. Any any wrestling uh, fans out there would get that reference. Um, you'll, yeah, you'll Molly, if you don't get that, ask Chris. He'll tell you. <laughs> You're not wrong. Um, so, yeah, yeah. You, it, it is kind of all that all the way through. Um, but you're right. Then we get to this whole thing where... So, Lyman, uh, Diamond Lee Harris, again, just I should say for anyone who hasn't seen it, go and see uh, La Bamba about Richie Valens. Oh, he plays Richie he Valens. He plays Richie Valens, and it's brilliant, brilliant performance by him in that. Um, again, a really good actor, just, yeah, chewing the scenery in this film. Do you think they're all expecting it to be a huge failure? They're like, oh, it, it won't matter, they won't even release it. It feels like they're. It feels like they're having a lot of fun, like at the expense of the film and the script. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. Um, um, uh, yeah. So you, you've got to the point where where he's kidnapped and convinced Mark Wahlberg to help them kidnap um, this this young uh, woman played yeah. by China uh, China Chow. Chow. Now, yeah, this young woman who is the daughter of a businessman um, who seems to be some sort of film. Well, he was an electric. He was an electricity mogul. Yes. Who yeah. then spent all his money on the the biggest film ever uh, made. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's what it's I just wanted. That's film what I just want to spend a second on because I feel like they just massively overshot what they needed to. Yeah. Because I don't think they needed to make it the biggest film of all time. Is what he says. I don't. Yeah. It's called the Golden Spray. Yeah. I I don't. I think we could. I think he could have become bankrupt from the film. If it had just been a blockbuster film, yeah. I don't. I think we we lose the suspension of disbelief when you're when we're meant to believe that this film, The Golden Spray, yeah. was the biggest film of all time. As yeah. they do a weird bit, of, they're, 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 and you know you know that because of a weird bit of exposition by presumably uh, the 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 boss's um, Nishi's um, accountant. Yeah, I, um, I, I think. Like, I why, think... why is this guy coming and monologued at us for a scene about about? Context and and <laughs> exposition that we don't need to make the film work. It's already a heap of shit. Or why are you trying so hard yeah. to kind of like plug all the holes narratively? Yeah. Yeah. It, it doesn't make sense. No, it's people really just arrived because it was convenient. Yeah, like, we've all, we're already out. Like we've checked at the, our brain yeah. at the door. You're both plugging holes, but you're using tiny little corks and it's a bath yeah yeah it's, it's like yeah bath. you're not it's don't just leave it yeah things are gonna get wet the water's gonna go everywhere <laughs> um yeah so as you were saying yeah the, the kidnap has taken place mark Wahlberg's um pretended to be a limo driver to pick her up from her high school yeah 
private high school, she's definitely at the very most 18. Yeah. Um, and she gets into the limo with, with her boyfriend. With her boyfriend, who I think, I don't know what you think, Callum, mm-hmm. I think the character of her, um, Kiko, who's the name of the, uh, Kiko's boyfriend, might be the worst human being ever portrayed on film. He is the worst human being ever portrayed on, on film. Maybe the worst human being that's ever lived. Because I've not he, seen a serial killer documentary no. and hated any of them as much as I have. I mean, he, he manages to be a racist and a rapist yeah. in one line, in yeah. one sentence. He, he says, he actually says the phrase, no means yes. He's trying to, like, basically have sex, have with, sex with her in the, the back of the limo. She says no. He says, oh, come on. No, no means, no yes. means yes. And then he says, yeah, me love you long time because she has Asian heritage. In a really offensive accent. Yeah. So I was like, I can't believe you've managed that. I can't believe those two th- phrases are in this film at all. But all one character said them in them. one line. I was like, that's that's a record for how just abhorrent you can make a character just immediately. Yeah. Um, but I suppose, in fairness to them, they had to make him that because Mark Wahlberg shoots him in the head because he annoys him. And Mark Wahlberg's the protagonist of the story that's meant to be a nice guy. Yeah. So I think the only way for us to be okay with Mark Wahlberg having a happy ending at the end of this film in Aristotelian... Come on, I'm talking about Aristotelian... I was going to say... Yeah, like but in terms of the idea of, of you know, if, if you... Rules if, of tragedy. Yeah, the rules, the Aristotelian rules of dramatics where if you kill anyone, you have to have your comeuppance at the yeah. end, right? So he does... And I think the only way that that works is if they made this person the most abhorrent person. Yeah. So you absolutely don't care if you've just been shot in the head. But also, Mark Wahlberg was happy to kill him because he's a rapist and racist and yeah. and an asshole. but also is still very mindful of the fact that, in his case, he's got... A, has he got a very fragile crystal? A, a piece of a fragile crystal. Careful with my bags, man. It's a piece yeah. of fragile crystal. Yeah, why, 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 why? And a huge kind of like old suitcase. Yeah. Um, yeah, and uh, yeah, anyway, that's referenced again, even after they'd killed him. Yeah. Um, so it's full of weird little lines where you just go, I think that was meant to be maybe funny, but it's like, they're just not functional jokes. Yeah. They're not functional um, lines. That, some, some of it, some of it I do think, like, like, the scene that comes after this where she's been kidnapped, they drive her out to the desert and they try and get her to record a ransom message to play to the father. Yeah. And the gag is that they're all so stupid that they've written... Uh, the, the grammar is awful yeah. and she's, obviously, as we see, private school educated, quite an intelligent yeah. person as we come to learn throughout the film. And she's just reading it verbatim. And, like, it's obviously yeah, all nonsense because it's been really badly written and they're getting really angry. And so I quite like that reverse power play that she's got the power yeah. and she makes them look stupid. That was a brief moment that I thought, oh, God, that's a bit of redemption a bit of nice, for everyone. Bit of redemption for the for its own yeah. film. Um, but then also logically, why aren't you terrified? You've just been kidnapped. But yeah. they're fine. With that doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, so yeah, and there's also a weird bit in in that where she says, um, "Oh, I didn't realize you wanted me to improv." Yeah, and he said, "Oh, improv, all right, Meryl Streep." Yeah, well, we all know Meryl Streep's very well known for her brilliant ten, ten, ten years on SNL. Yeah, she, she yeah. started off as Second City. I think she was um, big, big Chicago comic for years. 
Um, and I think actually Billy Crystal said he learned a lot from last year <laughs> in the early days. Um, it's that had a you know thinking fast thing. Um, yeah, so I no, I was fine with that reference. The film really ramps up when when because uh, of, of realizing that they've kidnapped their boss's goddaughter, they drop her off. Um, she, they, they've already dropped her off at Mark's Mark Wahlberg's. Um, who's who's called Ma- Melvin? Sorry. Melvin. Melvin Smiley. Melvin Smiley. Right. It's important to know what his actual name was. I thought I might have got that wrong, but Melvin Smiley. Um, and, and it kind of ramps up when you've got two things happening. You've got, you know, his old boss trying to kill him and him not really know about it. Yeah. And also, Melvin's trying to please his Jewish-to-be-in-laws yeah. and convince them that it's fine that he's not Jewish, that he can marry their daughter anyway. Yeah. And suddenly, I think he said, like, who directed this bit? Ray Cooney's famous The Big Hit. Yeah. Like, it goes into so I, so I, real fast. Yeah, yeah. So I've redubbed this scene, One Hitman, Two Governors. <laughs> Very good. Um, Very because good. it is, it turns into a complete slapstick comedy. I mean, I mean, what you've, you've done, Ray Cooney plays. Yeah. Uh, you know about the rules of slapstick. I mean, oh, I really? did one anti governors actually as well. And he did one anti governors as well. Homage um, to that era. Uh, and one of the big tropes is doors. Is people going in one yeah. door? Like, like it's not just like they call it a slam door fast. Yeah. It's not just like oh, if you look at the scene a certain way, it could feel like maybe it was a bit like it is the principles of a slapstick. See, yeah. like it's so weird. I don't know why they've done this. But also, it's, it's so out of character for the rest of the film. And also, it doesn't make sense with the geography of the flat <laughs> either, because they've had to build a bathroom in a hallway. Yeah. yeah, there's already a bathroom that's an ensuite, but they don't use that. They no. use the one that's in the middle of the house. <laughs> it's two so, doors, and it has two doors. But we didn't know it had two doors, so it's kind no. of like a weird joke reveal. But it. it it, they've gone so much effort. They've gone so much effort to make it a Ray Cooney slammed off yeah. fast and British seventies comedy. Yeah, that they've they had built a set with that. Like yeah. that's how much attention they. It's really weird. So basically, uh, he Mark Mark Wahlberg Melvin. Yeah, he's mm. he's had Kiko tied up in his girlfriend, the one he's having the affairs with, his flat. She's fed up of him. They decide her and her other boyfriend. I yeah. guess. Decide to go to LA, to which he says he's got a shortcut for. And then before that, he says there's this really short scene in the kind of in the middle of all this kind of oh, like God, yeah, no, that's so stuff. weird. I mean, it's like a twenty second scene. It's, yeah, it's so about, it's the shortest scene I've ever seen, and it cuts back to a guy we don't know, <laughs> we've never met before, in bed with the mistress of Mark Wahlberg, and he says, "Let's go to LA, where people like us belong." What? <laughs> How are we meant to know what? what people are like you are meant to be? We've met the, we've met the girlfriend once, maybe twice, very briefly. We've never met him before, so I'm like, okay, fine. I what? don't know why. What's that all about? I don't know why you're telling us this because we don't know who you are. Jump cut back to the house. Oh no! And the gold oh, and the kid and the person you've kidnapped. The hostages in the bathroom. Oh, it's a double yeah. door bathroom. Oh, the Jewish people are making anti-Semitic jokes about themselves. Yeah. Oh, isn't it awful? And he and we're meant to feel kind of like. Some kind of sympathy for Mark Wahlberg for having two girlfriends and murdering over a hundred people, as it's yeah. detailed in the dialogue. Over a hundred people he's yeah. killed. Um, and then, and then, yeah, you're right. It cuts back to them again, where they said, "Oh, you know," she said, "Oh, it'll take ages to get to LA." Yeah, and he does. He says, "He says, oh, don't worry, I know a shortcut." 
like, like across the country. Yeah. But, and then it does come back to that later on. And she says, oh, you said it would say four hours. Yeah. No. So I was like, okay, because I was like, oh, benefit the doubt. Maybe maybe they're in, like, San Francisco. Yeah. Maybe it's yeah. not. But no, no it's it, it, clearly they're a long way away. Yeah. No, don't know. Too far for anyone to know a shortcut from that. It's like, oh, oh I know a shortcut to Edinburgh. Yeah. <laughs> from, from London. Do you? But, okay. but also, a shortcut that would say four hours isn't a shortcut. That's a different <laughs> way. It's a That's different... Like a teleportation or a plane. <laughs> Not in the crapped out car that you're driving in. It's very weird. Yeah, which... Or, like... Yeah, like, if... If that is the case... How did... How, how, did how long was the original route she wanted to go? Because that's not a direct... She would wanted to, to have gone a detour... Yeah. ...for at least three and a half hours. Because I'd say about half an hour maybe is a good... Yeah, I wanted to go to LA via Canada. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Oh, uh, well, I'm really sorry. My shortcut... We'll get us there. Good news is, we'll get there four hours earlier... Bad news is we're gonna miss our camera. <laughs> so, so I think the I think the scene, the shortest scene in the world, was there <laughs> so that they could justify them dropping Kiko off at Mark Wahlberg's to then justify the fast scene of him trying to hide her from Christina Applegate. Yeah, but like I, I don't think we needed to go through all those steps to get to the fast scene. Oh, and also, I don't think we needed the fast scene. Come to think of it, didn't need to be that. Come to think of it, come to think of it, we didn't need the film. We didn't. We didn't. Um, but we got it. Why is this made? Why has this been made? And then it gets to a point, right? <laughs> it gets to a point where where they go, oh, don't worry, we're all stressed out, right? Because you're not Jewish. Um, and I'm trying to get my daughter to not marry you. And Elliot Gould, apparently... It has an alcohol problem. Um, well, I thought, he's not an alcoholic. No, I thought he had an alcohol problem because there's a really weird scene where he asks Mark Wahlberg for a drink. He goes and gets it and he's about to take a sip and uh, Christina Applegate and the mum run in and bat it out of his hand. And I was like, oh, it must be like he's yeah. not had a drink for X amount of years. Yeah. No, no, they they just don't like him when he drinks. Yeah. <laughs> so let's have that an overreaction. Yeah, re- massive overreaction. <laughs> And also the like naughty look on Elliot Gould's face. You talk about chewing the furniture. Yeah. Oh my god! Yeah, yeah. Uh, really weird acting. It's like c- quite creepy actually. Yeah, but not creepy as in the character's creepy. Creepy as in I don't trust Elliot Gould anymore. <laughs> I see the dark side of him as a person sabotaging the movie that he's in, and I can kind of forgive it. Like just because yeah. it's justified doesn't make it not creepy, Elliot. Like. Come on, I met you as the dad in Friends. Um, yeah, and and uh, they, they 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 kind of go through all this, and, and then they go off to Temple because yeah. they're going to have a thing. Maybe Temple will make them feel better. And he's like, Ah, I'm going to make them an amazing meal. Yeah. And over the course of making this meal and having successfully hidden the presence of the hostage. Yeah. The hostage, um, Kiko. And Malvin kind of get chatting and they get quite close and he like loosens her gag. Um, yeah. And she kind of therapizes him about his problems. Yeah, let's not some let's reason. not let's not gloss over the really weird choice of um having what structurally and from the music supervisor's point of view, the music choice he's decided to put in, make it feel like a romantic scene. When what it is, is she's asked him to take her underwear off so she can pee. Yeah. But it's 
done yeah. in this weird way that that's the moment that they fall in love with each other. And I was like, she's a hostage and a, a schoolgirl hostage, and and Mark Wahlberg's taking her under off so she can go to the toilet. And there's this weird, he's uh, waiting outside for her to go to the loo, and it pans along so you can see her on the. It's it's really weird. And then she's like finished like a child. But the music is like this like. Jewel or some like American yeah. female singer songwriter singing some kind of ethereal thing, and I was like, absolutely not, absolutely not. What, what? And it really stood out as well because it's the first time that the music hasn't been either like frat house punk pop yeah. or uh, grace hip hop, yeah, like, yeah, quite a lot of bad hip hop, yeah. Um, yeah, so it really stood out, and it was, yeah, it was like she really enjoyed and got off on him taking her underwear off, yeah, which was. Just grace. Um, yeah, and, and the rest of the scene is grace because... Yeah, they... Right. Is it, what we're about to talk about, is it meant to be a deliberate parody of the clay pot scene in Ghost? Because that's what it felt like. But actually, I wrote down... Um, do you mean where... You mean where he... Where they're cooking? Or do you yeah. mean... Yeah. So she says, oh, I'd, I'd be able to help you a lot better with your cooking of this kosher yeah. meal. I just, I said, if it's you the ghost scene, but with chicken. So, yeah, there's a weird note. So she, so they've got, so he takes her hand, one of her hands free and then cuffs it to his hand. So everything he's doing, she's doing. And then there's a moment where like they're rubbing this chicken in butter and garlic. Which, again, butter's not going to be kosher with chicken anyway but there are a lot of questions but I yeah. shouldn't I shouldn't question no. the continuity of the kosher meal that shouldn't be what I'm focusing on right now it's not time but um, they, they're rubbing this chicken and, and yeah all the grease over their hands and their hands come together much yeah. like the clay pot scene in Ghost yeah. it's a really yeah. astute observation to make it, I mean Ghost is now the classiest film I've ever seen <laughs> feels like you're comparing it to Shakespeare but the yeah it's a really really weird moment where I meant to kind of fall in love and then he spills chicken juice down her leg and then kind of picks her up and lays her down on the worktop and then washes her leg up to the knee and then a little bit further I'm like no 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 she is definitely not only your hostage to a child and you've also got two other girlfriends yeah. and you and you're a murderer. Yeah. What, why on earth would we why are you playing this music basically? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um and, and at that point it's Robbie Williams, she's the one. Oh, the first out of like three times yeah. that that's gonna be played, but yeah. that's where it comes in. Yeah. Uh nineteen ninety-eight. Wow, what a time. Robbie, I mean, I know at that time he probably didn't have a lot of scruples about what his music was used for, but Well, it's it, I thought it was an interesting choice because he famously never broke America. He kept trying and never actually yeah, could break the state. So the fact that an American-made film got hold of Robbie Williams, she's the one, is an interesting little thing. Um, <laughs> so and anyway, the whole... So we're thinking so, Stockholm Syndrome yeah. is, the, is what we're meant to think as an audience. But it's been a ruse to get him to undo her handcuffs and then he's sort of prone and thinks they're about to get off and she gets a hammer... A, a judge's gavel, which for some reason is just on the side of a... From. No, I don't know what that is. It was a huge, like, a big oversized yeah. gavel. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, hits him on the side of the head, um, tries to run away. Um, actually, one thing that I will give this film credit for is that bit, because 
something that really annoys me in movies is how easily people are knocked out. And I always go, yeah. I don't think if you were hit that level of force would actually knock you out. I think it would just really hurt. Mm-hmm. Like I've hit, like like hit my bang my head quite hard. Right, I on think we're say I've hit loads of people with a gun. <laughs> thinking about times doubt. I've like you know banged my head on a a short you know doorway yeah. or something like that. Are definitely as hard, if not harder, than certain people get hit in films that knock them out for the purposes of the narrative they need to be indisposed. Yeah. And I'm like, I was actually quite glad that I felt it was a really realistic level of pain that he had to that happening. Mm-hmm. Like it, it knocked him off the sideboard because it would, but he didn't. He was immediately got up straight away and captured. I was like, oh thank God for that. He's Oscar nominated Mark Wahlberg. Like, God, he's not messing around. Um, yeah, yeah, you're right. It's a bit of integrity there. Mean, mean, meanwhile, and I really don't want to talk about this because this is a subplot that I just found annoying. But there's a whole big subplot about something called Trace Buster. Oh my goodness, Trace Buster is the sequel that <laughs> I, was never made to this film. I, I, I hate, hate the words Trace Buster because it's said so many times. But then, but the whole kind of thing that's going on while Smart Wahlberg and the kidnapped girl are kind of, yeah, growing closer and that whole storyline's happening. There's this other storyline with uh, Lou Diamond Phillips and this other guy who's just an idiot to the point of... He's been directed to not even talk coherently, so I'm not like... like this isn't a funny idiot character. Yeah. I can't actually hear what he's saying because he's playing so much of the character of an idiot yeah. that he's decided to just not, not speak... Like, yeah, yeah. and also words. none of us care about him because he wasn't in the original crew. He's only been bought on for yeah. this purpose, basically. Yeah. Um, and and it, it's it's all about not being able to be traced by by a trace her buster. father. Which, by the way, there's also a scene where he's about to commit Harry a, uh, or uh, seppuku. I can't remember which is, it is seppuku? The, the correct phrase. I think Harry Carey is a type of seppuku. Anyway, um, yeah. Uh, he's yeah with with the sword falling on his on sword his, falling yeah. on his sword, uh, and he keeps getting interrupted by the telephone by yeah by 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 the telephone um to, for, so they can play the ransom message yeah. to him basically um and that's when he phones up Avery Brooks and he's like my goddaughter's kidnapped blah 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 they get involved so there's this whole thing about tracing the calls and they both have exactly the, the, exactly same, model. the same model of trace buster yeah and then uh, you've got a trace buster buster. Well, it was, it was, you know, ninety. It was like, remember, it was the same as um, uh, when the Buzz Lightyear doll came out. And you couldn't get it at Christmas. You couldn't get a trace buster in ninety eight. Could you, everyone? Remember, guys, those old enough to remember. You remember, you'd all go and all go out on your Christmas Eve. Make sure you got a, a trace buster. For you your nearest, to, if you nearest. didn't have one, then you'd be you'd get homosexual slurs. I remember, yeah, ten years old. I remember waking up Christmas morning. Oh, it's a trace buster. Yeah, loved yeah. it. Um, and the Trace Buster Buster, of course, the uh, following year. Brilliant. It, Massive. Like, that's that's when I was like, okay. So much of the film. Okay, now that. now this is just a, this is a nonsense kids film that's got an 18 rating now. Yeah. When he said Trace Buster Buster, I was like, this is so dumb for the for the lowest common denominator of people. This it's not even just there for that scene. They then go and pick up Mr. Japanese... Uh, uh, billionaire yeah go to the house of paris yeah um and then he's br- he's got the trace buster there so he brought it with him yeah I, or he's again or maybe paris had one i think paris had one as well everyone, everyone, everyone's, everyone's, everyone's got, got a trace yeah. buster it was the year it was the year of the trace 98 
So I mean, that is essentially it, because what we're about to go into is the last like half of 20 minutes, 25 minutes of the film, which just, is just, all action. Just before we go into that action sequence, just a very quick thing to say, Lou Diamond Phillips basically betrays that guy with the Trace Buster first, his yeah. mate that he's brought on, stabs him, um, even though I don't feel like he needed to, because I feel like he'd got, he'd already got the name of Melvin to him, basically his mate to say, oh, Melvin did it. So yeah. then they were all going to go off and kill Melvin. But he just started to stab his mate in the... I think just so we're like, oh, he's a bad guy. Yeah. Um, but he... Um, I just wanted to ask briefly, um, how many hitmen work for Paris? Because there's a scene after when when, when, when they find the address of where yeah. the Trace Buster is, and Lou Diamond Phillips, pretending that he's not part of it, is somehow the commander of a hitman army. He's going, go, 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 go. And it's like... 30 of them? About 30 people run out and into cars. I was like, what crime syndicate is this that have that many hitmen? It's huge. Just so stupid. What's weird, there were more hitmen in that shot than there were stuntmen on the books of the film. (laughs) So... Again, like, yeah, they've used more than the stuntmen that are actually using. Yeah. They've used extras. Uh, yeah, bizarre amount of hitmen. So they all come out. There's a weird shootout that's kind of clumsily protected by Elliot Gould, who's now absolutely hammered on rum. He's yeah. been pretending his prune juice. He starts slagging off his wife quite horribly, but maybe for some kind of reason. But because these characters have no depth, you just go, well, I'm, I can imagine that you've got reasons to do this, but I'm yeah, just yeah, hearing yeah, horrible yeah, yeah, things yeah. from people now. Um and then, uh, and then there's a massive shootout where they essentially just destroy the house. Destroy the house, yeah. Mark Wahlberg gets in his car with Kiko in the boot and they speed off yeah. in a yellow sports car and we're in pursuit. Yeah. Um, and yeah, there's an, ev- everyone ends up being in cars, including that's when we rejoin the girlfriend and the complete stranger that's never bothered to be introduced to us. Yeah, and he it's looks, not important. Like he's kind of... He, uh, you could audition him for Tarzan. Like, yeah. I bet he's auditioned for Tarzan that man. That's how kind of how he looked. Uh, just a, a little suggestion to any filmmakers or screenwriters that might listen to this podcast. If you don't make a character clear that we should care about them, like, if you don't care about that character yourself, yeah. then the audience is definitely not going to care about him. Right. So, like, that's just not... what. Like, why? Why Why does he exist in that film? Because it's they've gone... Bizarre. You don't need to know who this is. So I'm going, well, then... What? Why? Why should I care about? Why is there any scene of him in it? But then also, I, like I don't. We're not. I don't. I. No one cares, and we don't care about Mark Wahlberg. But we're being asked to care about Melvin. And there was something in Elliot Gould's yeah. drunken speech, which I think was a bit of a, a bit of a tell on part of the film in general. <laughs> because there's a thing in in um, like drama school or acting where they'll say if you want to know about your character, one thing you should do is go through the script and you should write down. Uh, everything your character says about themselves, everything that character says about other people, and then write down everything everyone else says about your, your character, character. Yeah. and then you'll have an idea of who you are. In that speech, Elliot Gould says, and Melvin's, you know, charming in a kind of Rain Man way. Yeah. Like, right. Mark, I think you didn't <laughs> read that bit when you said yes to the film, because you've now acted the whole film. Yeah. As if that's not, like, that's not who, that's, that's not, not the, the part. No, 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 not at all, not remotely. Like, oh, is that the point? Is that what we're meant to feel for him? Because he's socially awkward and doesn't yeah. know how to say no to people. And that's why he can kill people easily, because he's essentially, you know, no, has no empathy. Yeah. And, like, that would be a much better film. Yeah, yeah. That's the no, yeah. film I Yeah, he didn't, he didn't realise that was the character. I literally think it might be Mark Wahlberg's fault. 
Yeah. I think, I mean, it's everyone's fault, but I think it's, I think actually it might be like down to that one line not being acknowledged. Yeah, I'd buy that. Yeah. I'd, I'd buy it. It's fault. Yeah. Yeah. We've solved the mystery, get our time mystery. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, yeah, so um, car chase, everyone's there. Um, Paris and, is there in a limo with yeah. the Japanese mate. And, and this is the part of the film that we learn. That apparently we we didn't know this, but all the characters are indestructible, and we I didn't realise that I didn't realise yeah. that no one could die in this film. Yeah. Like the yes. amount of sequences where I was like, well, they're, no, they're dead. No, they're not. Well, now they're definitely dead. Now, oh no, they're fine. Well, they're definitely dead. Oh no, still fine. They're all like, Terminator, oh my God. isn't it? It's like every time he comes out of the ashes. But yeah. the Terminator, as a cyborg, half human, half robot, is more injured each time than any of the yeah. men in this film. Yeah. <laughs> Invincible. There's a bit where Mark Wahlberg and Kiko's car gets rammed into by Lou Diamond Phillips and it goes off of a cliff and lands on a very thin branch yeah. protruding out from the cliff and a sheer drop below. And they're initially worried, but then they really quickly go over and he goes, oh, come on, let's just go out the back. And I was like, why are you so okay with this situation? Because he's so perilous. just thinking practically all the time. Yeah. You know, oh, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Go ahead, I forgot. Go I got that. Wonder why. Um, so yeah. So then, um, oh, there's all right. Right. There's another subplot that we've not talked about yet that we do need to talk about because um, it features one of the best performances in the whole film, and that is about Mark Wahlberg's uh, VHS. Oh my. Copy oh of my the goodness. film King Kong Lives, which is very late back to the video rental shop. Yeah. And he gets frequent phone calls from the manager of the video store. Yeah. Who is just wonderful. He's just the biggest performance ever. He is going for it. He's in it. This is it. It's his last semester of college. He's going to get into that play. I don't care what all the big boys say. Yeah. This IT technician is going to get this part. He's huge. Um, yeah. And he's been torturing Mark Wahlberg about not getting this King Kong movie. Yeah. And every time Mark looks for it, Melvin, should we should say, um, his girlfriend, mistress, not the fiance. Um, says she doesn't know where it is. Turns out she's been hiding it from him because she wants to uh, keep the movie and eventually takes it to LA. I, I don't know why this is a world where you can't just buy a copy of King Kong. It's like an, like an old black, like black and white yeah, King Kong movie. I'm this, pretty... like, we know he's got money troubles, but we also know that the money troubles are in like the hundreds of thousands and a, a, like the other day he like he 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 borrows 25 grand from yeah. the guy who's addicted to masturbating um ch- ch- what's his name uh, chunk chunk crunch crunch sorry yeah. <laughs> chunk is it chunk um yeah crunch um so i mean he's definitely got enough cash on him to just buy a dvd yeah. or a, a video vhs sorry um, yeah, I don't know why, but there becomes a thing where it's like unfinished business where yeah. Mark Wahlberg has to get this video returned, um, <laughs> and wonderfully at the end that's kind of tied up. But it does; it has a whole through line. It really is a subplot. Like you, normally, when we say subplot, we're yeah. being a bit, you know, hyperbolic. This is genuine subplot. Do you know what? I was just thinking the film. The film should that the the main plot of the film should be Mark Wahlberg trying to get the video back. And all these things keep happening to him, and he and he's not the hitman at all. He just accidentally gets embroiled in the kidnapping yeah. somehow, and all he's doing is just trying to get that video back. That I'd love to watch that film. That'd be great. I I, I would agree with you. I have to say it was not a bad idea. Um, the other thing I want to talk about is all the weak trees 
all the trees are so weak <laughs> that they keep getting knocked over by a car trundling down a forest cliff face. Oh my god. And they just at about four miles an hour. And all yeah. the three huge great big like redwoods getting knocked over by this already broken down car that shouldn't be working, driven by a man who shouldn't be alive, who's now got like a vendetta to kill Melvin, which he never did. He's pretending yeah. he has a vendetta yeah. to kill Melvin in order to save his own skin. Yeah. But he's forgotten. Yeah. Halfway through this 25 minute chase sequence. And that actually really, like, oh, I'm gonna kill you! Yeah. Like, why? Why yeah. did this go on for There's time? a bit, so, so the, 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 act, the, the, the sort of film climaxes in this video shop. And there's a bit where, again, you think Lou Diamond Phillips has died because he was in an explosion yeah. of cars. Um, but then it does do a very the world's quickest flashback, where it just goes back to the previous, flashes back to the previous scene, yeah. and just shows Lou Diamond Phillips jumping into the water. Um, and there's a bit where they just look at each other and he goes, "Let's time to end this. Yeah, let's do it. So I, as if it's been this long stand. And I'm like, I was like, yeah, like, Lou Diamond Phillips doesn't, shouldn't be thinking that. Mark Wahlberg certainly should be, he should be confused. Yeah. He seems immediately to understand what's happened, and I don't really know why. It's really bizarre. It's really bizarre. Um, and also, at some point during all of this, Kiko has started calling Melvin Skipper, and I don't know why. Yeah. Why did yeah. she call him Skipper? <laughs> no, I don't know, I missed that. Well, she it, she's skipper from now. He's skipper to her from yeah. now on. I'm like, what a weird nickname for yeah, a 1998 Mark Wahlberg character to have. Oh, is it because he says something about a boat? Yeah, but no, Lou Diamond Phillips has got the boat. It's his dream. Yeah, and he says to Mark Wahlberg, by the way, one day if you you know if anything happens to me, you can have my boat. You can have my boat. Yeah, in the locker room scene when they're yes. Yeah. Um, so we know that Lou Diamond Phillips has got a boat, but I don't know why. Oh, I don't know. No, it's for anyway. She couldn't skip her before they decide to run away together. Right? Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, so they have this shootout in the video store, and the the payoff of the masturbation gag throughout the whole film yeah. is that they pause because uh, they see a poster and it says like "adult video renter of the month" and it's a picture of Crunch, and they both stop and like look at each other like, "Oh god, classic yeah. Crunch." And then go back to it again. So, and you remembered that, didn't you? When, I remember. Your I, yeah, I remembered said. that scene was really the only thing I could remember um, at all from the film for some reason. Um, by the way, he's not involved in any of this. He's decided to get out of Dodge and has yeah. advised Melvin to do the same. Like, why not? Why? Don't, it would be much more interesting to see his confliction. Yeah, that he's going. I'm um, not getting involved, man. One thing I do want to bring up when they. When Mark Wahlberg arrives at the video shop at the end of this film, and the video store clerk is yeah. like, oh, it's you. How does he have photos of all the people that have late videos out? I, Why does he have a wall of photos of them? I was trying to think about this, and I was like, <laughs> do they have photo ID on their membership cards? But, I mean, my mum had a Blockbusters card, yeah. and my sister had her own Blockbusters I, card, which was very grown up. I had, I had a Choices video shop. Oh, yeah. Card. We, had, we had a Choices in Bath. Um, and and you never had a photo ID on them. Americans, do you, do you, was this a thing in the states in the nineties that yeah. you had video that you? But it also, it was clearly a mugshot as well. Yeah. So it was like the wanted for not returning King Kong thing. It's just ridiculous. Uh, obviously, this writer's got a weird relationship with his blockbuster guy or his yeah, uh, video store guy. 
Um, so the week, the trees are weak. Uh, they have this big shootout. Um, eventually, it comes down to knives, and then Mark Wahlberg kills um, Lou Diamond Phillips. Lou Diamond Phillips. Yeah. On the top of a weird kind of truss that's yeah. kind of teetering, and um, and 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 then he says, "I I want to imagine my boat. I want to imagine my boat and all that." And he's like, "Okay, yeah, right." Fine, don't yeah. worry, man. I'll help you die, even though you're an asshole. Yeah, because because actually, Melvin's overly sensitive. Yeah, and empathetic to everyone. Yeah, apart from the people he kills for work. Yeah, but he's not. He's no not really Rain Man, is he? He's not Rain, Rain man. man. So I don't know where Ed Eagle's got that from. I mean, he's got it from the script, but he's certainly not got it from because also Ed Eagle's not been paying attention to what anyone else has been doing or how they've been performing. Maybe he's, he's not. Play- yeah. There's not. There's no point in this film where Elliot Gould is. Reacting, playing off anyone else, joining anyone on the the level of performance that he's just completely doing his own thing the whole time. Just bizarre, yeah. And also, like Leanne Kazan shouldn't be shouldn't shouldn't be in this movie. No, like, no. debuted Funny Girl and Broadway, yeah, and, like, yeah. an amazing celebrated act when she was doing school plays. Yeah, read this earlier. Her contemporary directors at college yeah. were Francis Ford Coppola, brilliant, and. Oh, another one. A really good one. I've forgotten. Oh, another really amazing writer. But, um, yeah. Like, that's that's the level that she's yeah. at. I don't know why she's in this film playing a stereotype of the Jewish mother. That's crazy. Um, and um, not even a good one. I, I don't know why Elliot Gould's in it. I don't know why Avery Brooks is in it. I don't know why Mark Wahlberg's in it. I don't know why Lou Diamond Phillips is in it. I don't know why Bo Keen Woodbine's in it. I don't know why Christina Applegate's in it. I don't know why China Chow's in it. Basically... Don't know why anyone. I don't know why it exists. I don't know why. The, I don't know why the film was made. Callum is where I'm trying to go with that. I don't. I don't. I think the re, we're, we're going to get to where the film was made um, <laughs> because I think it was an attempt at something which uh, we were talking about a little bit before. Um, um, so yeah. So the uh, before you come to that, the the just finish off the film um, finishes bit with Lou, Lou, Lou Diamond Phillips uh, as a parting gift before he dies decides to detonate. A bomb. A bomb inside the video shop. Mark Wahlberg runs out. He has 13 seconds. He's got 13 seconds. He runs out of the shop. He sees Kiko, but then he also sees Kiko's dad and Paris yeah. on their way to him. Um, Paris so brings out a gun. Brings out a gun. So Melvin thinks the best thing to do is run back into the thing that's about to blow up rather than literally any run Anywhere any direction yeah. uh, away from that gun. Um like around the corner of the building. And anyway, no, he goes back in. Building blows building up. Building blows up. About four times. About, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> the, the manager of the video store is distraught um, more than Kiko. Um, My God, why? And then it fast forwards uh, several months later back at Kiko's school. She is um, walking out. Walking out with the worst actress that's ever appeared on film. Now, come on. It was the I thought because I don't I didn't think anyone could trump Elliot Gould's performance. <laughs> it was definitely the worst thing I've ever seen, and it was this woman that I'm talking about right now. Yeah, changed my perception of reality completely. <laughs> Her and Chinatown walk out, and she says, oh "My God, that's just amazing, Kiko. I can't believe that." Like, you went through all that, and it was so exciting, and now they're making a film about it? They're making a film about your life? I can't believe it. You went through all that and the kidnapping, and now they're making a film about it? Oh, yeah, my dad's just uh, closing the final deal now. This is amazing. They're making a, fi- a film about that. <laughs> the kidnapping, it was so exciting, and they're making a film about it. Okay, bye. 
halfway decent actor you can make exposition sound conversation yeah. and sound like it should be there if you're a bad actor at least you should just make the exposition dialogue sound like yeah, what it is written it is. down on the page which is kind of what Elliot Gould does throughout the film yeah. just goes this is the shit you give me I'm going to give it to you back she somehow managed to make something expositional sound more expositional than it is horrendous I, it's, it's un, yeah just, I, don't, I don't know how that made it into a film that was released in cinemas and um, Kiko's absolutely fine about this. I also don't understand why Kiko's dad is going anywhere near brokering another deal. No, he's, he's just lost, he's, he's gone bankrupt. Really bankrupt after making the most expensive film of in all the time. history of the world <laughs> that he wrote and starred in and directed himself. Yeah. And entitled The Golden, what was it called? Gold, the Golden Spray. Golden Spray, which is obviously a urine gag. Lots. Um, and. Uh, and, and, and they're letting him go. No insurance company in the whole of Hollywood's going to let that man go near a yeah, film. It's so weird. It's an 18-rated film, but the comedy is aimed at 13-year-olds. It's so weird. And I wonder, I wonder if that's not entirely by accident. Mm. Um, it's a weird one. But yeah, I, 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 yeah, we can come back to that at the end. Uh, uh, to tie yeah, off, she, yeah. she gets in the limo, uh, which is, you know, new driver, presumably, because yeah. the... Last one's been killed. Well, it's not just a new driver. It's it's Vince, who is one of the gang that isn't like ever really talked about. But oh. but the, but her I like realised he was one of the gang. I thought way, I was a bit over familiar with him. Yeah, she was over familiar with him, and the way that the camera panned to reveal who he was, like it's the character you, you all know and love from those two scenes in the locker room. Okay, where he had one line. Like, that I did not. I, I was like, why are you shaming? Yeah, um, I have not recognised um, him once. And yeah, played by um, uh, Antonio Sabato Jr., who again was actually quite a big actor. Oh, he's in the first heist. Yes. He's the guy who's yes. his yes. friend in the yeah. first heist when they're yeah. not doing anything. Absolutely. He's kind yeah. of dumb big guy. Yeah. Yeah, who, who is happy for Mark Wahlberg to die in the first scene yeah. as long as they get paid. Yeah. That's his, that's the only yeah. thing he's had. Yeah. Why do we care about him now? Um, uh, and and she's because she thinks it's going to be Skipper um, driving the limo, and of course it's not. Just to be um, clear, Skipper being Melvin, played being by Mark Wahlberg. Um, uh, and then the car, the limo stops, the door opens, and it is of course Melvin. And yeah. we learn that he managed to survive by hiding under the sign for the golden spray because he had commissioned very heavy. Like gold-plated size stand-up sign, stand the most size. expensive stand-up sign um, in the world. I just have gold is absolutely not going to protect you. No. no, 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 no. He's dead. He's dead. Yeah, he's dead. He's a ghost. Um, but he he says this to her, and he says, "You know your dad's movie display." And he says, "Yeah." Does she? Does she never went in the video shop. Why does she know about her dad's picture display in that specific movie display in that specific video shop that she never went in? Well, well they never talked about. She was really distant from her father, and that he yeah. never—he didn't know. My dad doesn't know I exist except when he has to show me off in front of his business associates. Yeah. So, like, you know your dad's movie display. Know what you're talking no, about. Should be the lie. Yeah. But fine. What are you talking about? Um, remember that time you tried to rape me, and yeah. what and kidnap me? Yeah. And I've, um, like, if she's... Yeah. It's a bit Stockholm syndrome actually, isn't it? Well, the whole... Yeah, and then they go against it because it's a really bad to get yeah, away by seducing him. But they forget him. They forget him. I don't know why she's fallen back in love with the guy because he's only done more stuff 
He's only done more stuff to put her in danger oh, than to save his own skin. Like, he's an awful human. Yeah. Um, and then they kiss. I mean, there was a lot of kissing uh, outside the video store as well, which was so... It was like there was a phrase that you'd say it here in a yeah. lot in the nineties, uh, like eating face. Yeah. Oh my god, yeah. they were absolutely like half, half of their faces inside each other's faces. A lot of too much. So yeah, way way too much. That clearly not a good kiss. No. Um, yeah, and then that's it. They 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 decide to go away together, run away together. Right, yeah, and the the final shot is what is meant to be them on. Uh, Lou Diamond Phillips. Lou Diamond Phillips' boat sailing out to sea, right? Now, they very <laughs> weirdly didn't show them on the boat. They only showed a faraway shot. And I was like, yeah. is that because they couldn't afford to actually have actual Mark Wahlberg yeah. Yeah. and China Chow on that boat? So yeah. they've just used stock footage and found a footage somewhere from something of a of a yacht on the sea with yeah. two people that's like a man and a woman that look vaguely like they could be from a distance, Mark Wahlberg and China Chow. So I was like, Surely if you had them there, you would have shown them on the boat. Yeah. But they very weirdly and de- deliberately don't show them. I think it's a bit of stock footage. That I think it was. Yeah, I think it was. I think, because it has nothing to do with anything. But you've got another bit of Robbie Williams and stuff happening. And, uh, yeah. yeah. They're all happy and it's a lovely happy ending and the credits roll. Yeah. <sighs> Thanks, Steve. <laughs> like, it's definitely, it's definitely a wind-up Patreon, isn't it? But we've got to yeah. do it because he's yeah. a survivor. He's, exactly. got, he's found the loophole. He has found the loophole. Um, but there was something, I was saying this to you before recording, there was something really uh, quite pleasurable about reliving the kind of nonsense that was in all of those films. Yeah. And I mentioned to you memories of staying up and watching Rush Hour 2. <laughs> yeah. Um, Which is a much better film. A much, much better film. And obviously it makes sense and it's well shot and it's yeah. the edits and, you know, add up. Um, and there's a lot of comedy there. And also, you've got Jackie Chan directing yeah. stunts. So, I mean, the martial arts are incredible. Whereas in this, they're, you know, they're a bit weird. I mean, they're, they're ridiculous, but they're not... It's just not good choreography. Um, and and then you... But, but there was still something that they were trying to capture. And I think, actually, I probably saw Rush Hour 2 when I was about 13 or 14. Yeah. Knowing that it was a film that was a bit old for me, in terms of it, it was violence. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I shouldn't be watching it as a kid but enjoying the sense of humour. And what you said earlier about this film seems to have been, you know, it's got everything in it so that you couldn't possibly watch it if you weren't, you know, 18 rated. But it, the humour is aimed at like a 13-year-old. Do you yeah. think that they went, oh, Rush Hour's really good, but all, all our online reviews are from 12-year-olds. Let's make a film for 12-year-olds that they're going to see, I don't know, like Birth of the Internet or pirate copies or... But then it did well know. in cinematic releases. So. It, yeah, yeah, fairly well. Maybe maybe I'm just I'm just being a bit too kind in that the thirteen year old me I think I still would have known that was an awful film at the age of thirteen. <laughs> um, but yeah, there was something quite nostalgic. That that it's yeah. a movie that is definitely defined by the late nineties. Yeah. Oh well, you. I mean, you must have loved. There was so much like telephone ringing, all that nineties oh, yeah. nostalgia you love. Was there was a, fo- a tiny mobile phone. There, there was a tiny was, mobile phone. It was really. Um, it was really small. Yeah. Um, I quite enjoyed that. Yeah. It was yeah. really, it was over, undermined slightly by the whole Trace Buster thing. <laughs> yeah, that's when I should have been more excited. I mean, it was an interesting moment where I think he thinks there's a, the guy who, um, that gets killed by yeah. Lou Diamond Phillips, uh, the idiot kidnapper, 
um, think, like, gets distracted by all the laser beams of sights mm. um, of guns on him. And I think for a moment he thinks they're laser pens. And I went, oh, remember them? I do, I do remember laser pens, but, you know. Shine them. To, shine them. Like, designed entirely to annoy people. Yeah, yeah. I, I remember getting one in France and shining it into other people's rooms, being like, oh, think you've got a... But yeah, sniper on you. You've got a sniper on you. Like, what? Well, nice well, it's it's not a really nice thing to do. Um, but yeah, but I, there was a lot of that going on in the nineties. Um, so that was a bit nostalgic. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I, it was really sad watching Idiot Gould in that film. Yeah. <laughs> it was a mixture of kind of sad and joyful because yeah. you're watching someone wreck a movie, but also be in it. I quite I I secretly quite enjoyed him just sabotaging the yeah, film. I just think that's, I think that's what it was. Um, There's a point yeah. when where Mark Wahlberg's neighbour has a go at him in the middle of all that fast. Yeah, so I'm like, where did you come from? Oh yeah, yeah. It's like right. you're a pathetic little man so who's trying to get a body off a dog. The start of One Hitman Two Governors, the mini film <laughs> within the film. <laughs> yeah, is. Is a synchronized mowing of the lawns, like a music video, like a yeah. David Lynch film. Like it almost like, why is this happening now? <laughs> All the neighbors mowing the lawns at the same time, coming out of the set, like. Is this no longer what you mean? Film? Yeah. Like, I know what you mean about David Lynch, the the evil, yeah. the banality of evil. Yeah, like everything's if everything's dark because because everyone's you know doing the same thing. Yeah, white it, picket fence. It like sinister, but. Is this from the uh, like realism? Like, you're changing the form of the film for this one scene? It was so weird. Very weird. Um, I yeah. also found the reference, just stealing the lines from A Few Good Men at one point was a bit odd. We went, you want the oh, truth, yeah. you can't handle the truth. I was like, it only came out about six years before this. And he got out of the weird, car to like, kind of make a point of saying it. I think it's it was like weird a quote. To, but. It feels weird to reference a film that is only a few years older than the film yeah. that you're making. That yeah. so feels odd. Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, I don't know. Would you uh, recommend it? <laughs> um, I, look, in places, yeah, it was a bit confused. But overall, it's the journey of one man who is a man for every man who realises that he can't do that. He's got to be authentic and real and genuine to himself. And he finds out who he is, which is a child molestering hitman for life. <laughs> and there's something, yeah, dark in that, but there's also something beautiful. Oh, he should have just been getting his video back. It's a... Uh... What, what can we do? Mr. I think, to be honest, I think Universe, we've seen it, so you don't have to. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. But, yeah, Steve. Yeah, thanks, Steve. We've been Love you. We get it. Um, so and thank you very much for your Patreon suggestions. I really am quite surprised at how it's snowballing. We've got, I feel like it's actually becoming work now. We've got quite a lot to do. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, some really fun stuff coming up uh, a, a lot of films people are getting yeah. in touch with uh, we've got one coming up called The Last Dragon which is like an 80s kung fu like disco movie that was produced by Barry Gordy but it's like kung, like it sounds absolutely crazy The Last um, Dragon so, and I've, I've never that's something I've never seen so I'm yeah but 80s kung that. fu um, we've also got I don't know what Hitman theme we've got the Hitman's Bodyguard the Ryan Reynolds film oh yeah um, which Tristan very kindly has asked us to do my friend Tristan because we and him <laughs> watched this film 
a few years ago, and I know he's, again, much like Steve's doing with this, he's just paid that £5 to make me watch this film again. <laughs> Is it that bad? <laughs> I, him I have a memory of the, this scene with a, with a depth perception being really off. With oh, a, yeah, yeah, with yeah, a yeah, 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 we'll come to that. Uh, in the episode but um, but I can't remember anything else about the film it's brilliant I think it's a false memory because I've described yeah. it to yeah. you several times it, because it bugged me so much I um, can see the whole thing in my head um, but we also yeah have some stuff that's actually genuinely good and I'm really excited about coming up uh, The Breakfast Club's going to be coming up oh just my one of, goodness one of my favourite films of all time uh, Lara's done a second one wow so she Breakfast Club yeah. what an Awesome film with an yeah, awesome, so, awesome soundtrack. Oh, one of my absolute favourite films. So really excited to talk about that and actually do a positive podcast for once. So we actually get to celebrate a great piece of filmmaking. Um, yeah. And also um, uh, looking at um, the films are the names of the directors escape my head, but there are director duo who do kind of cosmic horror films. Uh, Spring Ooh. is one of the ones. And if anyone's seen Spring, it's, it's a phenomenal film. It's just. Yeah, like nothing else, and uh, a couple of their other films. So we're going to look at them as a kind of retrospective. Um, yeah, so lots of really fun stuff coming very up. Very cinephilic um, lockdown. Yes, yeah. which is really fun. So thank Absolutely. you very much. But and also to say, it doesn't have to be just film or TV. It can be anything. We had someone that said they were quite interested to get us to talk about the musical Roger and Hammerstein that yeah. may be uh, donating coming up. Um, just and... don't go for Ulysses because. <laughs> I mean, maybe if they, if you know, if we're going to be in six months, then maybe. Yeah, but yeah, give yeah. us time. Fin- Finnegan's wake at the moment. <laughs> um, so yeah, for now, guys, as we always say, if you do have a bit of spare pocket change, you can chuck us five pounds, get us to record anything. We're happy to do whatever it is you want. So do find us on the Patreon link that'll be in the description below. Um, in the meantime, you can follow us. Uh, at uh, Macabre Podcaster on Twitter. Look out for uh, another episode of Jonathan Creek Podcast dropping on Monday. Um, you can get in touch with us via Gmail, podcastmacabre at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook, fb.me forward slash podcastmacabre. And of course, you can listen to this wherever you find your podcasts, Spotify, Apple, Stitcher, Anchor, Google Play, wherever. Um, so yeah, thank you very much for indulging us in this trip into the late 90s. Uh, I have been David Shotland. And I've been Callum Hughes. And we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. When you got to where you want to go